Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Kirsten Thompson, a wife, mother of three, and Crohn's warrior. She's here to share her journey with IBD and how she's learning to balance family, food, and life with Crohn's. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kirsten, and welcome to the show. So happy to be here. This is so great. I love that you have this. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you here and so excited that you and everyone else who's been on here is willing to share their stories and jump on. So thank you. Absolutely. So as my listeners know, I like to start off by asking about your IBD story. So why don't you go ahead and jump in and share your Crohn's journey, a little bit about when you had your first flare-up and how your diagnosis finally came about. So when I... Let's see here. I have three kids, like you mentioned, and all of them were born before being diagnosed with Crohn's and before any symptoms, at least that I noticed. Um, Mine, uh, let's see, it was like uh, 2017. I had, it was March. Uh, My son had just broke his arm March 1st, jumping off my brother's, he was at his cousin's house and he jumped off there Mm -hmm. uh, bunk bed. <laughs> and oh, no. uh, they are <laughs> playing on him. He's uh, at the time, I think he was five, five or six. Aww. So uh, anyway, yeah, he had broke his arm. And I, I just remember that that was like March 1st. And it's kind of like the date I can kind of work around because then within days of that, my symptoms started. And I thought I just had a really bad flu, you know, stomach flu, mm-hmm. I'm really nauseous. Um, loose bowels, the whole thing. And it kind of lasted for a couple of days and then went away. And I was like, well, that was weird. And then I was prepping for my daughter's first birthday. I have two boys and a girl. And um, we had all the family coming over. And so just kind of thought, well, that was a cold or a flu and whatever, moved on. And then my symptoms just kind of every couple of days would come back and then every couple of days go away. And at my daughter's party, I mentioned to my cousin and my mom, I just sat down and I said, because I was a little nervous about it and because uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't going away. And I was like, I don't know any flus that do that, that last for a few weeks, you know? And yeah. so I mentioned to them, I was like, you know, I, I haven't been feeling well and it's really weird because it kind of will come and go. And, you know, I just didn't understand it and um, wasn't super familiar with anything like Crohn's or colitis. It doesn't run in my family. I don't, I don't have any autoimmune. I actually have very healthy relatives that lived to 90 something years old. So this was kind of out of the blue. So, um, yeah, just kind of die of old age. No, no major nothing. So, so anyway, I, um, I had mentioned that and then my symptoms just steadily got worse and worse until I, it, it, I couldn't even go to the bathroom without like just water. Like I couldn't even pee. And I just remember Mm -hmm. sitting there thinking like, okay, if I could just go to the bathroom and just pee and not have to like poop. That would be great. Yeah. So anyway, I know that that's like TMI, but as a Crohn's person, you're used to talking about that, right? So yeah, everyone who's listening to this podcast definitely understands. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's part of the thing with, you know, having an irritable bowel disease. You just get used to talking about 
poop and stuff. And when people call me now and want to talk about it, I'm like, just, it's all right. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> just get it out there. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, um, it, it took me quite a while. I really was kind of stubborn about it, that it was just going to be something that was going to go away. And, um, so it wasn't until May I, I had finally given in to having some like house cleaners come and, and in the middle of all that, I was getting overwhelmed by having three little kids. Like I said, they were five, I didn't think I mentioned this. They were five, three, and one at the time. And mm-hmm. my husband has multiple businesses. We're self-employed. So he's very busy with that. And, um, I was kind of just overwhelmed as a mom with Crohn's aside. And so we decided to give me a break a couple hours a week by having somebody come in. So I'd already kind of put some of those things in place so that I could either just rest or go run errands without kids. I got a house cleaner once a month and it was when those house cleaners were at my house that I couldn't help myself but keep doing laundry while they were there because it makes me uncomfortable to not be moving when they're at my house. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly I got this sharp pain on the side of my intestine and I couldn't hardly breathe. It hurt to breathe. It was so clenched tight. And I was like, whoa, this is new. Like I was experiencing, um, you know, abdominal indigestion, flu-like symptoms, but never a cramping like that. And so that's mm-hmm. when I thought, okay, that's really not normal. So I immediately as I'm like hardly being able to breathe, sitting on the couch, holding my side, trying to act like everything's fine because there's these strangers in my house. Um, I got on the phone with my primary care physician and he was booked out like three weeks. And I was like, hey, this can't wait three weeks. And so I, um, I've just found another primary care physician at the recommendation of a neighbor that had availability the next day and went in, explained my symptoms and he tested me for all the regular stuff. Do I have Giardia? Do I have C. diff? Do I have, you know, did all the routine mm-hmm. tests. He said, you may be your celiac or I've had my gallbladder removed. When I was 21, I was diagnosed at, um, I think it was, let's see if it was 2017. I was 26. My birthday's in July. So 20, I was mm-hmm. turning 27 in July. So it's 26. I had had no gallbladder for a few years. So he thought maybe I had just developed dumping syndrome which is when your body overproduces bile because you don't have the storage of your gallbladder and then you start to have diarrhea from that. And they'll put you on cholestopol, which before they diagnosed me, they put me on that as like, well, let's just try this to see if this is maybe what's causing it. And uh, it wasn't that, but I took that until I had my colonoscopy to confirm uh, that I wasn't, well, actually I am celiac, but then I had Crohn's. So Mm I... um, when was that colonoscopy? So it wasn't, so I worked with that primary care physician. He recommended me to the GI once everything came back looking normal that I didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, Giardia or any other sort of bacterial anything. Went to the uh, gastroenterologist beginning of June and within probably 10 days, he scheduled me for colonoscopy because I had so much weight loss. I had lost about 20 pounds in that March to June span of time. Oh, wow, yeah. And so that was obviously significant. He again just thought I was celiac because my blood tests and everything showed I was. And um and so yeah, so he we we did the scope. I um I came out of the colonoscopy singing. 
<laughs> they play those songs sometimes when they're like performing it and they were playing the feels like home song i don't know if uh-huh. that one and so i was thinking that my husband was videoing me because that's what a good husband does right they video you in your funny moment and so yeah well, and I'll, I, I'll i'll jump in real quick and share a, a funny colonoscopy story right? my, i think it may have may have been my first one but uh they were doing the colonoscopy and i guess about halfway through i the drugs kind of wore off, so I kind of mm-hmm. woke up and and I heard the doctor say, "Open, close, open, close," because he was doing the biopsies. Mm-hmm. He's you know telling his tech to take the biopsy samples. Well, I thought he was talking to me, so I'm laying on the bed and I open my mouth ah! and then I close my mouth and then I open my mouth <laughs> and then I close my mouth and then all of a sudden I feel this little hand, big hand, because he's a doctor, but he uh-huh. feel, I feel this hand on my shoulder and he says, "No, no." Not you, sweetie. Oh, I know. Yeah. And then they push more drugs. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, go back to sleep. So, so I, uh, yeah, that led me up to my colonoscopy. So I don't know if you want me to stop there because that's when he he finally came out uh, or back to where they had wheeled me back, and I had kind of come to, and I was I was pretty out of it though. So he started talking to me, and then he turned to my husband and said, "She's really out of it. I'm going to tell you." Mm-hmm. So, but I remember a lot of it and and he basically was like, well, you should be in a lot more pain than you're letting on. And then he switched, I was. And, um, but I didn't, it was one of those, I didn't want it to be what I knew it was. I mm-hmm. had done a lot of research leading up to my colonoscopy on what, you know, what could these symptoms be? And here's my options, cancer or IBD or, yeah. you know. And so I, um, anyway, I had, I had already suspected that that might be partly what it was or an option of what it was was likely Crohn's. And so when he said you have Crohn's uh, and then he said, but we have a lot of ways to treat it these days. So don't be, you know, too upset about it. And um, then my nurse was around and getting me all tucked in and undoing all the different IVs Mm -hmm. and things. And the first thing I said to him was, I'm not getting on steroids. I don't want a fat face. And then the nurse just laughed. She's oh, you're so funny. And I was looking at her like, uh, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm serious, you know. <laughs> and and you mm-hmm. know, uh, newsflash: I've been on this. I've been on prednisone, and it was fine. But um, since then, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, immediately he wanted me to start Imuran, but I thought I knew better. And so, anyway, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but yeah, go ahead and, and talk a little bit about what the. The first treatments were that they started you on. It sounds like they knew right then and there that it was. They knew Crohn's right then and there. Or- they they said it was so severe. It was just pretty obvious that it was Crohn's. They wanted to do a um, another scan to see how much it was in my small intestine because, as you know, a colonoscopy can only go so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they did a EGD and the colonoscopy, so they started from my mouth all the way. Like you know, they did the whole digest- mm-hmm. digestive tract. And so he already had pretty good evidence, but he did take biopsies. He said, I can't confirm it till the biopsies come in. And um, so I went back a week later, followed up, or maybe it was two weeks. I don't don't remember exactly. And uh, he said, well, it is Crohn's like we thought. Um, And then he said, have you been taking the meds I gave you? And I said, no. (laughs) And right (laughs) after I got in the car, I had, um, because I had run across uh, Ginny Patel, listen to your gut. Oh, yeah. I've, I've. Bought and read her books. Yes, so <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking right. about. Right. So before my colonoscopy, I had read her stuff, and I thought, okay, if this is what I'm in for, like, I want to try this. 
And this was before I'd found out about any other sort of IBD diet or anything. And so, mm-hmm. so I, um, anyway, I had read her book. I had bought like the oregano oil that she claims, or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not claims that she advocates for. And, yeah. uh, and in there somewhere, she talked about activated charcoal. And so I mm-hmm. had bought that as well. And I, had a bottle of our activated charcoal and water waiting for me when I got back to the car. Cause I figured, well, if nothing else, it's going to help take down the gas from the colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And it did, it actually helped a lot to take down a lot of that gas pain and just overall settled my stomach. That's interesting. Yeah. So my mom recently had to do a colonoscopy. She had a s- small uh, cancer scare and, um, she did the same thing right after and she's like, oh, that really helped. I'm like, yeah, I know. It was kind of weird. But when I worked in the ER, I mean, we used to have, you know, activated charcoal for if people had poison and it would mm-hmm. soak it up. So it wasn't something I was unfamiliar with. But yeah. So yeah. So that really helped. And I don't do a lot. It was like a half a teaspoon in the whole water bottle. But it really helped, like I said, to take down that gas pain and kind of help that all flush mm-hmm. out. So so I immediately had done that, immediately started on the oregano oil protocol that Ginny Patel talks about in her book. And um, my symptoms actually did get a lot better um, just in that span of time. And then I also had stopped eating gluten during mm-hmm. that span of time. And so, uh, but then when I got to my appointment, um, it kind of annoyed my doctor that I had gotten on the internet because one of the first things <laughs> don't research, don't talk to like family or friends and listen that, to all these different things. He was like, some people come in with ideas about eating worm poop and doing all these. Mm-hmm. So he was throwing out a lot of those alternative therapies that he had heard come into his office. And he's very, he, he just said, diet has nothing to do with it. Don't make yourself feel bad like you caused this. And then he mm-hmm. was like, just take the meds. And he said, I'm, he said, not to brag, but I'm the best GI in the state. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, and then I was super torn because I felt like he wasn't listening to what I wanted to try. And just, and I, I, I've used medications and they have a place and um, I'm not against them. I think mm-hmm. you need them when you need them. Um, but I really wanted to try not just getting on something for the rest of my life. And how long had it been since your colonoscopy appointment and he tried to send you home? I think it was with Imuran. How long had it been when you followed up? It had it, it was like a week and a half to two weeks between my colonoscopy and the follow-up appointment. Okay. It wasn't so too quick. long of a time. And he had given me enough Imuran to probably last me like two months. Um, he just handed me like a bag right right when I was in the mm-hmm. hospital bed. So he wanted me to start that right away because um, he wanted to start me on Humira right away. Right away. And I, I'm kind of in a different situation from some people or maybe not. I mean, there might be some people out there like me that don't have excellent insurance. Um, I, th- I don't know if I mentioned that we're self-employed. I think I did. And so... Being self-employed makes it difficult to have insurance because we're not a part of this giant corporation healthcare plan, right? Which even mm-hmm. some of those, I know the premiums and things have changed a lot in the last few years and those have become difficult also. But we were part of a, it's called Christian Health Ministries. It's like a donation share program and they reimburse you and it's technically not insurance, but they help you with your medical bills, but they're not great with prescriptions. 
Mm-hmm. So I went into this appointment thinking I can't pay for a monthly prescription. That's going to cost me a couple thousand dollars a month. And when he said, I want you to start Humira. And he said, what insurance do you have? And I said, well, I don't. And then he was like, okay, well, we can get you on a patient assistance program. And I was thinking, well, we probably make too much to be on a patient assistance thing. So we're not in poverty or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of one of those in the middle where it's like, we don't make enough to cover a $4,600 a month dose prescription, but I don't make a little enough to qualify for mm-hmm. certain programs. So that's how I left the appointment thinking there's no way I'm going to get on one of those medications, even if I wanted it. And um, later found out that I I could qualify in things, but that was like a year down the road and quite a lot had happened in between. So you bring up a great point because I've read, you know, a lot of different blog articles and different things out there now about people talking about how difficult it is to get the right care or to take the medications that maybe they need because insurance is either so hard to get or hard to navigate or just won't cover what they need. So it's a definitely yeah. a, a very real situation that you're not the only one that that faces that. Yeah, it's a you know, I feel for people that need insulin or, you know, some of those other life-saving things. And in some cases, you know, Humira or some of these other Mm -hmm. biologics and medications, they are saving people's lives. And so when they get denied for it or, you know, it can be really scary and difficult. So um, Mm -hmm. I hope we can kind of figure that out in our country to make sure people are getting the medications they need. And probably some of that is regulating some of these companies so that they can't charge you know, over $4,000 a dose yeah. on these type of medications. But I agree. So yeah. what happened then? So I left that appointment mad. And uh, my doctor just kept saying, well, you seem nervous. And I, I wasn't nervous. I was nervous about making him mad because I didn't want yeah. to hear what he had to say. <laughs> and we weren't <laughs> agreeing. He Because he kept saying, you know, everything I was doing, diet, all these things, it wasn't going to help. And so I, cause I was thinking that he would be like, yeah, you know, even if I thought he'd be supportive in some sort of sense, like I'd still like you to try these medications, but you know, yeah, diet mm-hmm. might help a little bit, but he was just completely like, it doesn't matter. He was, he, he actually said, go home and eat cereal. Cause it's fortified with minerals and things. And it's actually oh, wow. a really good source of, of all that, all that that your body needs. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I was feeling really um, unsure of what to do because here's my doctor who has all this medical experience and he's, and he, you know, he says he's the best guy in the, that's around, the best GI in the state. And he's telling me it has nothing to do with food, but then I'm reading all these stories online and then, it, and then he's telling me, well, don't read those stories online. And so I was just feeling really confused. And like I said, I didn't know anybody that had Crohn's, so I couldn't just call up anybody. Um, Anybody I knew was kind of a friend of a friend, and they were happy to like, oh, I'll give you their number. But I was like, you know, I just felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, I hadn't talked to the world about my bowel movements, and it was, you know, Mm -hmm. going into all that, I wasn't quite ready to talk to a stranger about it. So, So I tried to kind of charge through. I ended up going to a functional medicine doctor, um, and he tried uh, he told me no gluten, no sugar, no dairy, um, which was really hard for me. And I, cause my life has revolved around food. I mean, I'll plan a party just to make a certain food thing. My family, mm-hmm. of, 
I have a huge family, kind of like a, my big fat Greek wedding style, but we're all Mexican. And they all uh, came over all the time and they still do. And our life just revolves around food. So to take out these major uh, food categories was mm-hmm. really difficult for me. And it took me a long time to get, I mean, a long time meaning I'm still working on it to get serious mm-hmm. about it. And and there's times where I'm really good for a couple months and then I'll, you know, I'll have a piece of chocolate or I'll have a piece of that and then it crashes back down. But I yeah, I was hoping that it wouldn't work, to be honest. When I when I cut out all of those foods, um, I was hoping that I could go back to my GI and say, Well, you were right. I tried cutting out some of those things that I had researched and you know, it didn't work. My symptoms still just were really bad. And um it but I actually started feeling better. And so Mm -hmm. it was more, I only relapse food wise uh, because it tastes good. Right. (laughs) I'm in a social situation (laughs) and everybody else is eating the cake and I'm like, man, I want a bite of that. And then I I know, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. really hard to stick to it, but it's not, it's, it's not because it doesn't work for me. At least I'm not saying that diet's the answer for everybody, but no, but it does it does impact and I think the more research that's coming out and the more just information that's there. I mean, even my new GI doctor that I got, she talks about how how much is being looked at that diet, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's not, you know, it's definitely not a cure, but it does right. impact how well we can manage things. So it definitely plays a role in, and they really are starting to look at it. So it's it's interesting yeah. that your doctor, even so recently, you know, just a couple yeah. of years, was like, absolutely not. It doesn't matter. So yeah. And then it, what was interesting was this last time I went to his office, I looked over and there was a file sitting there that said IBD diet. And so when he had walked out, my husband was in the office <laughs> with me and he walked out and I jumped up and I grabbed that folder and I opened it and had all these printed out papers that said, gluten might be a problem for you and dairy uh-huh. might be something you want to look at. And it almost like, and it was like processed sugars. That's the one thing he did say. He said, no artificial sugars, your gut can't handle those. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, at least he agreed on something. But um, yeah, I was just kind of shocked that he's so on that side of the spectrum of things. And, and, uh, and yet he has this file right in his office saying, you know, some of these foods might be a problem for you. Uh-huh. Maybe so, another patient brought it to him. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was like, well, so I got in there somehow. So, so yeah, he, um, he's kind of an interesting guy, but super genuine. I mean, I know he cares and he cares so much that, uh, he told my husband that if I, I had ended up in the hospital at one point and he happened to be the rounding doctor and I was like, oh, great. It's him. Cause I was trying to avoid him. Cause I was trying to do <laughs> that I shouldn't be doing. And, um, anyway, and then he, he, he said, if my wife needed these medications, I would have her on them right away. If it was my son, I'd have him on him right away. And if you don't do it, mm-hmm. I consider it abuse. I was like, wow. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so we know your opinion <laughs> about it. So anyway, it was just, it's just been kind of a rough road with that doctor in particular. And I'm actually uh, waiting to get in with a different doctor who is doing some clinical trials with uh, the specific carbohydrate diet, which is something that I mentioned mm-hmm. on my Instagram. I have, I had a blog, um, and I'll, I can get into that later, but I'm kind of revamping it because it, mm-hmm. it, anyway. So, well, not, we definitely not will get yet, into that. But, uh, yeah. 
So tell me a little bit, have you been on any medication since uh, your initial diagnosis or have you been able to kind of manage it with the functional medicine guidance and then doing some of these other things? So yeah, I got kind of off track. So my functional medicine doctor put me on naltrexone and Mm -hmm. I honestly didn't notice a difference. I'm not even sure it really helped. It may have been, but it just, I also was like every few weeks eating a little bite of gluten or eating a little bite of this. I just really wasn't serious about it. I I was kind of like, you know, if I do 80% of the time, I think it'll be good. But I've heard before people say like 80% means 80% of the results. So it was never 100%. -hmm. But I definitely was no longer laying in bed, just totally um, weak. Um, I could, you know, there there came a point where I couldn't even stand up because I'd immediately have to run to the bathroom or I was just just parenting from my bed and I would just cry and my like bum hole would just throb and I just was going to the bathroom dozens of times and, you know, it was awful. So I went from that to getting to myself, you know, just a few bowel movements a day, not feeling completely better, still some tenderness in some areas of my colon, but overall feeling pretty good. You know, I could be mom again. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of number one goal, right? And so I definitely had gotten a lot better. But like I said, I wasn't 100% with the diet. And so I'd kind of two steps forward, one step back all the time. And so I did that mm-hmm. for about a year until I just kind of slowly got worse and worse with my dietary habits and Halloween hit. So this was about a year later. So it was March, 2017 to October, 2018. Uh, it was Halloween and I had done pretty good with my diet, made a lot of adjustments, but, um, I hadn't realized that I had developed a egg intolerance. So mm-hmm. I was eating eggs all the time because people would say, oh, eggs is a great thing for people with IBD. It's easy to digest, great source of protein. So I was just eating eggs like nobody's business. I had never had problems. Mm-hmm. Nobody in my family has problems. And I um, had made myself some gluten-free little waffles and um, some sunny side up eggs for dinner that night. And my husband took the kids out to trick or treat. And I was just doing the candy bowl, eating my waffles and eggs. And within a few minutes, my intestines just blew up super painful. And then I was like, man, I already feel crummy. I'm just going to eat some Twizzlers. Little do I know Twizzlers have gluten. Mm -hmm. So I had really slammed my system. And I was feeling really sick by the end of the night by just eating, like I said, a handful of Twizzlers and those eggs. And um, by the next morning, I I was just sick all night um, to the point where I was really nauseous and, and ready to throw up, but I'll do anything to not do that. And mm-hmm. so my, one of my things is, and I found that most people with IBD do this, you'll get in the shower or like the tub and it helps to relax my muscles. Mm-hmm. And so I had been in and out of the shower off in and out of the bathroom the entire night. I hard, I didn't even get dressed cause I was just every 15 minutes back in the shower and then laying in bed and then getting back in the shower and laying in bed. And, um, by the next morning, I it hurt to stand up. And I thought, oh, man, it felt like it was where my appendix is. And I started to develop a fever and I started to get nervous. I thought, oh, man, if this is my appendix, you can't sit on that too long before you get septic. So um, I tried to tough it out through the whole day and just thought maybe it would go away because uh, I'm good at doing that and that's not the right thing to do. <laughs> And um, it's a very common IBD trait, right? I know. I'll, I'll do it. It'll be fine. Pretending like away. things aren't there. Yeah, <laughs> if I ignore it long enough, it'll go away, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So, my dad was there, and so he uh, 
came or I, I had called my parents at like 10 p.m. I was like, this pain isn't going away. I'm starting to get scared. I need you guys to come over and sit with my kids so I can go to the ER. So I go to the emergency room, tell them my symptoms, and they get me checked in. And uh, I had a micro tear. So I didn't have an appendicitis, but I had a small tear in my lower right uh, colon. Mm-hmm. And so they were concerned about obviously some fluid had come out of it. Um, and they scheduled me for surgery at 7 a.m. the next morning and I was going to have an ostomy back. And so I was kind of, you know, mentally preparing for that, didn't sleep a whole lot. And then like literally 6.55, the surgeon comes in and he goes, I've been reviewing your x-rays and your history and things. And he said, we're not doing the surgery. And he said, but you have to promise me that you're going to get on some steroids. And he said, and a biologic because your symptoms are so severe. He said, you're on a fast track to colon cancer. And um, he said, if we put an ostomy bag, it's really hard to reverse. Once you start removing parts of your colon, it's hard to stop. And so he said, I'm going to do everything I can to make it so that we don't start going down that road, but you need to work with me. So I'm like, all right, if we wow. at this point, then, and I was kind of at that point, you know, trying to avoid the ostomy bag. Like he said, they're really hard to reverse. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll try the meds. And that's, that's when interesting I, for the for the surgeon to come in basically the day of the surgery like and say say mm-hmm. let's not let's not do the surgery let's put you on drugs first basically is yeah he he said let's try to avoid surgery and see if we can work this out another way and he wow. said but he said but I'm not completely taking it off the table he said we need to see how you respond and he said you're going to be here for a while <laughs> so I uh, but what was odd was uh, my white blood cells and everything were not off the charts for mm-hmm. for having a micro tear. I should have been pretty septic. My ER doctor was like ready to give me my eulogy and cry for me because he was like, mm. this is going to be really bad. And he was so concerned for me. And I'm like, it's all right. It's going to be fine. Like I wasn't <laughs> crying and he was like all emotional for me. And my, he walked out and I looked at my husband like, should I be like crying right now? Because anyway, I felt, I felt pretty <laughs> okay about it and I didn't feel like I was yeah. dying. So anyway. That was that. And um, I, so I immediately got on the prednisone, started to feel better. I, I, the pain of my uh, micro tear, um, it, it developed a flag, flagellum, flagellum, something like that. And it's basically mm-hmm. like a little uh, dome that covered the micro tears and it, my body just did its job. It stopped the leaking. Wow. And so, so the surgeon recognized that in my x-rays. And he had to explain what it was to the other doctors to say, her body's doing what it's supposed to. We don't need to remove this. So I was really grateful that he was kind of up to speed on mm-hmm. things like that instead of just, let's just do the surgery. So I really appreciated that. I kind of feel really lucky that I had that surgeon in particular. Yeah, because surgeons like to surge. So most yeah. of them would have just gone on and and surged. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I felt like he was kind of a unique guy. So I'm like, anytime I'm in here, you're going to be my doctor. So, cause I was like, if I know, like if you're saying we got to do it, then, you know, we absolutely got to do it. Cause he was, he was a really good doctor. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back with the rest of our interview. Hey everyone. Many of you know how much I love the intestinal fortitude supplements. Ever since discovering these products when I interviewed the founder, creator, and Crohn's warrior, Will Jenkins, for this podcast, I've been using their probiotic, gut lining repair, and anti-inflammatory. 
These products were developed by a Crohn's warrior, specifically for those of us with IBD. And for me, they have become an important part of keeping my symptoms, including mucus and inflammation, at bay. I truly love these products, and now I'm excited to let you know that if you use code CFF10, that's CFF like Crohn's Fitness Food, you can receive 10% off your order. Visit Crohn'sFitnessFood.com forward slash IF. And if you want to hear more about the creator, Will Jenkins, be sure to listen to episode 11 of this podcast. And now back to the show. So how long did you stay on the medications at that point? So I started the prednisone. I was in the hospital hospital for five <laughs> nights. Um, and I just missed my kids and my family so bad. It was really... I, even though I had visitors nonstop, my family was really good about setting up people to come visit me so I wasn't lonely. But I, all I wanted to do was go home and just watch a movie on the couch with my kids. And mm-hmm. I didn't want my kids to come to the hospital. One, they're really little. I didn't want them to see me hooked up to all these things and be scared. So to them, mm-hmm. I kind of just went on vacation. They don't really – you know, they're little enough. They didn't quite understand. Only my one – only my oldest one going to bed one night. Um, Sorry. Told my husband that he was scared for me. And mm. anyway, so he he kind of knew what was going on, but my little or two are little enough to not realize mm-hmm. that I wasn't around all the time. You know, they were so yeah. excited to have their cousins and, you know, playing play dates all the time that they didn't really notice too much. So, um, mm-hmm. so anyway, I. I ended up doing the paperwork to get on the patient assistance program for Humira. So that's the one thing I'll give them is that they're really good about having that patient assistance program, which is kind of their deal. It's like we can charge this much, but we'll give it for free to this amount of people. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I was approved for it and um, did that for about a year up until this uh, last this last month, actually. So I've been off of oh, wow. for about a month now. And was it the, did the hospital help you with that paperwork to get the patient assistance or was that something you had to find? So I I mentioned before that my, the doc, the the gastroenterologist that was the rounding doctor when I was in the hospital was the doctor I'd been working with, but trying to avoid because I didn't want to get on Mm -hmm. medications. And um, he came in, it was super awkward. (laughs) And because he knew exactly who I was and I knew exactly, he remembered me and that I was kind Mm. of a stubborn patient and here I was in the hospital and I told you so. And so he said, we can get you on the patient assistance program, even, uh, even though, you know, I'm not poverty or whatever. He was like, you, you'll still, Mm -hmm. you should still be able to get it. And so he said, I'm going to send you over the paperwork so that we can get you on that as soon as possible. And so he was really good to give me kind of priority on getting that started. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So he, he was, and like I said, he is a, he is a good doctor. Uh, he is very genuine and he does care a lot. So even though I have differing, opinions, he's just set in his ways. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is a good GI. So, so anyway, he got me on that and I got started on it and I didn't have any reactions or anything. And, and for the most part, it did, it did help a lot between that and prednisone. I was mm-hmm. doing pretty great. That's fantastic. So tell me a little bit. You mentioned you came off Humira a month ago. Tell me a little bit about that decision and that journey to do that and what you're doing now. Right. So at that time, I just felt like um, 
I needed the medications to give me that leg up, to get me back up to speed. Um, and so I, I did them and I did them faithfully. And he also wanted me on, um, the azathioprine at the same time. Um, because, uh, like he said that if I took azathioprine with Humira, it gives Humira a better chance of working long-term, which is what most of you are probably familiar with. And so he said, Mm -hmm. Humira alone will go down about 20%, um, its efficacy every year. If you don't have a a synergistic drug. So I did take the azathioprine for a little bit. Um, I took it for like four months and in the middle of all of this, um, which I know it sounds crazy because I talked about how overwhelmed I was with my kids, but we had Mm -hmm. always talked about having four kids. And so I just had in my head, I was like, well, I know I've talked to a lot of people that are on Humira because by this point I had kind of met a lot of people in the community of IBD. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know a lot of people are on Humira that take that have had a baby. And I'm like, but I don't know a lot of people that that continued azathioprine. So I thought I'm gonna stop taking that. I didn't really like the idea of taking that anyway. And um and so I I stopped taking it. And it was probably mm-hmm. June. So again, I'm like not the best patient. And so mm-hmm. but I stayed on the Humira faithful and uh I tapered off the prednisone at that point. And I was like, I'm just going to see if it gets out of my system for a few months so that if we feel like we want to have another baby, maybe in the fall or something, um, mm-hmm. that we'd be that we'd be ready and that would be out of my system. I didn't want any sort of complications with medications in a baby. And so that was earlier this year. And so um, let's see. I'll just keep – I'll just finish my story. So going, yes. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, oh, am I answering your question still anymore? But to, to you finish are. that out, I, um, I ended up getting pregnant in September of this year. And so, so I was going to ask, are you pregnant yet? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of the cliffhanger I there. I know it, right? And so congratulations. Kinda, I know. Well, hold. So oh. I was pregnant in September. Mm-hmm. And by uh, October, I think it was like around October 11th, somewhere in there. Um, I had miscarried, and I had oh. never experienced a miscarriage before. Um, and I that same weekend, I had also flared. And slowly, between the you know the last few months, my symptoms, the humor wasn't lasting as long. You know, my symptoms mm-hmm. would start to come back before every dose. And I my diet, I had just totally kind of let it go. I still won't eat gluten because that that makes me really sick. But mm-hmm. um, I had eaten a lot more sugar. And so I wasn't sticking to any sort of diet in particular. I had kind of shut off my Instagram, my blog, the whole thing. I just wanted to kind of pretend like Crohn's wasn't a part of my life anymore. Just take the medication, have yeah. a baby, go back to my what my life was before Crohn's started. And that's kind of where my mindset was. I just didn't want to think about it. And because I, it, what frustrates me the most about Crohn's is that I feel like it runs my life. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to readjust my dreams and – you know, like I said, we wanted to have four kids and I felt like that, you know, may not be on the table and that's something I probably have to accept, you know. And so, so I had flared, miscarried, and um, it was really difficult, obviously, anybody, even though I have my three kids mm-hmm. to hug and hold. So I'm grateful that I have that. And I know a lot of people miscarrying, you know, don't have the opportunity to have yeah. any children, but um, it was, it was still really hard. And so I had to, I've, 
the last month, I've just kind of had to reframe what our future is going to look like and and more of the discussion of, you know, is this something that's just not going to work out? Because very quickly, my symptoms got much worse once I got pregnant. And I know that that's kind of a 30%, 30%, 30% factor, you know, 30% yeah. stay the same, 30% get worse, 30% get better. And as far as this yeah. short pregnancy went, mine got much worse, even with the Humira. So it started making me nervous to think, man, if I'm only this far along, how am I going to make it 40 weeks? And um, it was kind of scary. And so, so yeah, so, but at that point I was up for my renewal for my Humira and I just found out that I got denied because our income has gone up more in this last mm-hmm. year and I got denied for renewal. And I was kind of, I had kind of said all all along, like, you know, I think I'll do it for a year, see how I feel about it. And then because it kind of stopped working and Mm -hmm. um, I I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to get back to doing the diet again. I started that up in September before I had gotten off the Humira and before I had gotten pregnant. And um, I said, I'm going to get serious about that again. And because I did feel better when I did it. And I said, I'm not going to two steps forward, one step back with it, I'm going to be 100% and consistent and and give it a real shot because I really hadn't given it mm-hmm. 100% commitment before, which is why my symptoms had kind of ebbed and flowed. So so that's kind of where I've been is uh, there. So I, I'm off all the medications, um, on the diet for, I don't know, probably two months now. And um, my symptoms are good by most accounts. I mm-hmm. I um, am in the middle of switching doctors as well because the doctor I'm looking into is a part of a clinical trial with the specific carbohydrate diet. And so I thought, well, if she's even open to being in a clinical trial and she may be open to supporting me and trying this for mm-hmm. a while and then tracking my results with it. And, and if the, that, specific, go ahead. the specific carbohydrate diet is what you're following now, correct? That's what I'm following now. Um, it's pretty egg heavy, so I don't incorporate that at this point. But yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think you touched on a really important aspect there as you were sharing your story and, and you talk about kind of accepting the reality in a way that Crohn's does affect your life. And I know that so many of us and so many people have shared their stories that, you know, Crohn's is not going to control me and it's not going to, mm-hmm. you know, affect my life. But the bottom line is it really does affect our lives. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe it affects it, you know, to a smaller degree versus a larger degree. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a spectrum there. But it really does, even just from the small things of do I want to go to that restaurant with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's that very small level – the impact is still coming through of, okay, well, I don't want to go out to eat because it's just, it's safer. And mm-hmm. I know I'll feel better if I just stay home. So it's a, it's really a hard, it's, it's hard to juggle and it's a fine line to yeah. walk. And yeah, and I don't that, know if it gets easier, but <laughs> I know it, it's definitely a difficult thing. Some of that, I, I would say, you know, you kind of want to isolate yourself socially sometimes, whether it's because your symptoms mm-hmm. aren't doing well. Um, sometimes I'll do that because my diet can be restrictive and I'm like, oh, I don't want to have the conversation at the restaurant or whatever. And so then I I used to just go out 
all the time with my friends. I'd order the whole menu. My friends would think I was so funny and I'd just pay for everybody's meal because I was like, well, I want to try everything and I don't want to split it because I know you guys wouldn't order all this normally. And I'm like the foodie, which is why my Mm -hmm. Instagram is the former foodie because like I, I mentioned at the beginning, my life like revolved around food. I baked all the time. I ate junk all the time. And, and I mean junk as in like every meal I made was full of cheese and cream of chicken and it was full of deliciousness. <laughs> full of really good, you know, if I could be Paula Dean in another life, I would. So so yeah, I I had to it, that's why it's probably taken me so long because I that was a big part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and who I was in my friend circle and my family circle. Um I was the the baker, the good food maker. So, yeah. so yeah, so that's been an adjustment for me. And um, I think an important part, which it sounds silly to relate those, but I know that a lot of people, if they go the diet route, you can get depressed. Um, one mm-hmm. of my doctors, my primary care physician, actually, um, after I got diagnosed, I got really depressed. And... Um, I went into my primary care physician. I filled out the uh, depression questionnaire mm-hmm. and I was like an eight out of 10, which it was meaning like, yeah, you're depressed. So, mm-hmm. but I went in s- crying. And again, it, it's kind of like when I told the nurse, I'm not getting on steroids right away. So I told him as he's handing me a tissue box, I could barely even talk, which is like, Duh, that should be your sign that there's a problem. Here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm just here to talk about it. I'm not saying I'm going to get on these meds. Blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and so he was like, all right, all right. He's super, super calm and nice. He's like, let's just talk about it. And, and, and uh, by the end of it, I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I ended up getting on Lexapro because I I was severely depressed and he Mm -hmm. said, don't feel bad about it. And now I'm a total, like, if you need it, you need it. And, um, and sometimes that can ebb and flow for anybody and kind of come on without a notice, you know, for depression and things, Mm -hmm. especially with IBD. And so he said, uh, and I don't want to quote the statistics wrong, but he said a lot of patients that have a heart attack, and end up having to make lifestyle changes with that, um, end up on a depression med within a few months because their life has changed and they just want it to go back to the way it is and they don't see an end. And it makes them feel Mm -hmm. trapped and that can really weigh down on your emotions and your body and your stress level until you fall into depression. And so he said, you're in a similar situation where you have this disease prognosis and you don't see an end and you're really frustrated about it and you're scared. And he said, uh, getting on a depression med is very normal for, for what you're going through. And that helped me a lot. And it really was kind of changing your whole life around. It's Mm -hmm. because just as your Instagram handle says, you're the former foodie. That's a huge Mm -hmm. identity shift Mm -hmm. of having to face this thing of, if I'm not the foodie anymore, what am I? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like I said, I, you know, if I, if I could, I told my husband all the time as a, as a joke, but I said, if you die, I'm going to just go, uh, let go and start a bakery. And, uh, <laughs> that was kind of my plan, my plan B that if anyone, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, my, all my life and goals and dreams were kind of like, man, I just, I love food. And so, so anyway, yeah, that, that was a big part of losing who I was and, and how do I socialize now and how, 
who am I to my friends and things like that. So tell me a little bit. I'm guessing you mentioned earlier at the beginning that you're revamping your blog. And so I'm guessing that this might tie into that. So tell me, let's shift gears and tell me a little bit about what finally got you motivated to start sharing your own story and to start raising awareness and then tie in what you're doing with your blog and, and where that's going now. So I, um, I mentioned I miscarried and you would think that being in the hospital would have been enough of a, a reason to get serious about taking care of my health. But, um, I like, I can be a little stubborn, obviously. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I miscarried that I thought, okay, how many times do I have to have something traumatic happen to me to, to take care of myself the way that I know helps me feel better and not, uh, slip up on bad foods. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, that, that was kind of a big, turning point, but I had started my Instagram before that. And I had had, because like I said, I, I loved food. So I had that food blog anyway. And a lot of, there were a lot of my recipes were from before Crohn's. And like I said, they were delicious, but definitely not, mm-hmm. not, not going to make you feel well if you are in a flare. And so I, uh, I, I just, my long story short, my blog had crashed in that time that I had just kind of shut Crohn's out of my life earlier this year. And, um, instead of trying to fix it and getting back up, I'm just kind of starting fresh. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at. And, and I'm just going to focus on what my future is as I see it now, which is just wholer foods, healthier foods. Um, you mentioned there's a lot of studies going on right now. I'm kind of a, an, uh, a nerd, I would suppose in a way that Mm -hmm. in my free time, instead of not that I don't binge watch shows, but instead of binge watching shows, I um, watch documentaries or I watch um, like the Crohn's Colitis Foundation videos mm-hmm. or I listen to podcasts like yours. And mm-hmm. and I, you know, I try to do a lot of research. I try to make sure that I'm looking at medical journals. I, 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 I just don't want to, I don't want to be the person that's kind of like, oh, that's, they're a space cadet. They're out there with some interesting alternative therapies. I like to research what I'm doing and make sure that there's actual research mm-hmm. backing it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's what's led me to the specific carbohydrate diet and meeting a lot of people that have had success with it, which doesn't mean that they haven't had to take medications here and there. And, and I am not against that. That might be in my future again, and that'll be mm-hmm. fine. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at on, um, there are a few blogs out there that, that incorporate SCD food, but it's just always a challenge of, can I make this convenient, easy and tasty? Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you're making foods from scratch, those can be difficult and that can deter a lot of people from doing these sort of diets. And so that's where I kind of felt like, oh, I feel like we need more people out there saying you can do this. It doesn't have to cost you a fortune. It doesn't have to mean you're in the kitchen all the time. It, you know, it, it can be doable for anybody. So you're going to be developing a lot of SCD recipes? Is that part of the, yeah, I part have of the plan? A few, yeah, I have a few already that are kind of my staples um, that are, you know, quick. And, uh, you know, I've got three kids. Right now they're seven, five, and three. And so I... Um, I want to try to incorporate getting them 
eating healthier. Um, that's a challenge in and of itself because I can hardly even eat healthier. And so getting them to do it too <laughs> is going to be an even bigger challenge. But um, I, I mean, what's going to hurt having myself and them eating a healthier lifestyle and uh, a healthier gut? And have you started to talk with them as they've gotten this journey for you has been two, two and a half years. Have you mm -hmm. started to talk with them a little bit more as you've been changing to healthier foods and changing lifestyle things? Have you brought your kids into the conversation and started to explain what IBD is and, and maybe yeah. have some of those conversations? Yeah, they, um, especially like I said, my older one knows a little more what's going on. And so when I've been sick in the past, you know, I haven't had too bad of a, I've had momentary flares. My body's pretty, pretty good. Um, now that I can bounce back within a few hours. So, um, I, I haven't had another serious flare since my very first one. So, mm -hmm. well, besides the possible, but even then I actually, it only was like a two day thing. And then I was back up and walking around totally fine. So, Anyway, my uh, my oldest son knows a little more about what's going on, and so he he will take care of his brother and sister, and he'll tell them, "Mom's not feeling well, and don't go in there and let her rest." And he'll close my door oh. and he'll close my curtains, and he'll make it nice and quiet so I can get some rest. and And he's he's just such a sweet boy, and I'm um, anyway, I'm grateful he's the first one. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and uh, it's funny because I'll hear them come home and they'll say, "Yeah, I was talking to my teacher, and she." I told her, yeah, my mom doesn't eat gluten. My mom doesn't eat this. My mom doesn't eat that. I'm like, oh man, your teacher probably thinks I'm like some crazy health nut out there. And because I used to be so like, oh, that's all so <laughs> high maintenance. And like, mm -hmm. you know, there's this meme that I saw once that was like, if 2013 me met 2019 me, they'd slap me in the face. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I was totally <laughs> the person that was like gluten free and all that is just like out there and dumb. And, and then here I am. So I learned, I learned my lesson that never say do, never, <laughs> whatever you want to eat, however it looks to you, you do you. And then that even, mm -hmm. even with people that have, you know, Crohn's and, and decide that diet's not for them and isn't going to help them. Then I'm like, that's, that's, that's you. And that's fine. There's nothing you do you and I do me and that's fine. So, um, so yeah, so so my kids definitely know what it is and they're they're kind of funny about it because sometimes they'll say, like, oh, my stomach hurts a little bit. And they'll so when I say, Hey, you need to pick up your toys, they'll lay down and go, Oh, but my stomach hurts. I'm like, No, it doesn't, but they copy you, <laughs> you know, they see you. And so instead mm -hmm. of my kids copying me doing other things, they copy me saying their stomach hurts. So it's probably not something <laughs> with, you know, parents that don't have IBD deal with as much, but probably not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they're, they're so, funny. They're, they're really sweet and they, they're pretty understanding of it all. That's awesome. So tell me one of the things I wanted to ask you, since your diagnosis is about two and a half years ago, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who've been diagnosed, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before all this social media stuff was really mm -hmm. getting big and before people yeah. were really sharing their stories so openly. So how do you think that's impacted your journey, just having come into this process where people are talking about it and their the IBD community is there, how has that kind of shaped and maybe helped your journey throughout this time? I think it's huge. I think it's hard. You know, the internet can take you into a lot of different places. And so mm -hmm. some of the stuff out there, like I said, I, I try to make sure that what I'm researching online is, uh, 
backed up by some sort of study or such. Not that, uh, you know, I've, I've tried things that aren't, but on the same hand, I, I do my best to make sure that I'm not just blindly taking a supplement or something that mm-hmm. could be bothering my biochemistry and there wasn't any sort of data to back it up it might hurt me more than it's helping. So I think you just have to be careful about what you're researching out there and um, doing with your health. But on the same hand, I just am always amazed at how did we do it <laughs> before <laughs> social media and things where we could have a community where I can go on Facebook and I'm a part of the Breaking the Vicious Cycle Facebook group. That's uh, that's the book that started the whole specific carbohydrate diet mm-hmm. movement. And um, I can go on there and say, hey, this food bothers me or, hey, I'm really struggling. And people will get on there and say, you know, you can do it. I've been in remission for 18 years on this diet or, you know, oh, yeah, I've been on it for two years. I had to get on medications and, and they'll, you know, you can share your story with hundreds of different thousands of different people around mm-hmm. the world. Um, I mean, there's people in Europe in that group. There's people in Australia. There's people in the U.S. And so it's really amazing to be able to share your stories and what's working for you and what's not. And I've tried this supplement. I've tried that. And that didn't work for me. You know, and that that's really powerful because you can save each other from having to try all those different things and mm-hmm. uh, kind of get more of a consensus on, hey, this worked for the majority of us. This one didn't. And uh, hopefully in the future, we can continue to find those things that are working. I think anybody that gets diagnosed with an incurable disease is going to hop on Google or talk to anybody they know to say, let's try to fix this, right? It's hard to accept the idea that I've got a disease, nobody knows why it happens, and nobody has a cure for it. And it just is what it is. I think that's human nature to like, well... I, I'll figure it out then. And yeah. so, or I don't know, I, that's at least kind of where my brain has gone. Like, well, I'll, I'll try whatever I'll do, whatever you say. And I'm, I'll see if it works, you know, if, it's, yeah. if you say it works for you, I'll try it. <laughs> and no, I, so, I agree with you a hundred percent. I know I'm like that. Definitely. A lot of people are like that. I think it's just this idea that we don't want to settle and that there's, mm-hmm. there's gotta be something out there. I just, I just have to keep looking. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, you just think of how fast uh, health technology has increased, even in the last 10 years. I mean, you said you've had Crohn's for 18 years. About 17 years is when my symptoms started. Yeah. 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 I mean, imagine how much has changed in just that span of time, Mm -hmm. Um, even with Crohn's research in particular. And so I, I just sometimes wonder what are we going to be saying in 10 or 15 years from now of what the current uh, treatment plan is and, and yeah, you know, what are we, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong? So I'm always curious about that. And that's why I'd like to stay up on what's, what's being researched right now. I agree with you on that. So if people want to keep up with your journey and keep following you and maybe try out some of these great recipes you're going to be coming up with. <laughs> where can they find you and where can they follow so you online? For now, you can uh, find me on Instagram for the most part. Um, that's probably where I'm the most active right now. Um, at the former foodie is my IG handle. And um, I'll be getting, like I said, my website up and running this month. Uh, and it'll be the former foodie. I, I used to be this, uh, a different website, like I said, but that's, Mm-hmm. kind of I'm closing the door on that that was the past I had a lot of the th- recipes that I part of my pre-Crohn's life 
And uh, mm-hmm. moving forward, I just want to focus on what's going to help me be healthy and happy. So, and I'll share more of my journey and things like that on on that website. So, but I, I post a lot of my recipes and my day to day on the the Instagram. I'll share some of the studies I find, um, and different things like that. Because I, like I said, I'm constantly researching, reading books. Um, reading medical journals and all that board mm-hmm. research, uh, because I want to, I want to know what's, what's happening with all this. That's fantastic. You have a great Instagram and I look forward to seeing what you do with your new blog. I can't wait to see that coming out. Yeah. Thanks. I'm excited about it. I think it's important for anybody to, uh, not be afraid to share your story. You don't have to have tons of followers to get out there. It's, it's good for your mental health, um, to kind of get it out, um, to meet people like you, you'll, you'll realize I, I heard recently that your, your deepest struggles are your most common and Mm -hmm. that you, even though you think it's just you, the only you feel that way and, um, nobody else would understand, you'd be surprised at how many people do understand, especially when we're dealing with something like IBD that can be really, really difficult emotionally and not just physically. So um, I would recommend that anybody out there, you know, get on Instagram, get in Facebook groups, uh, you know, follow other people just to, and and post yourself so that people, to raise the awareness and to mm-hmm. uh, build your community because it's a, it's a big part of your health journey and your healing. I agree a hundred percent. And every time I, I write something, I blog something, or the more I talk with people, it just, it helps me in my own journey. Just like you're saying, it's, it's therapeutic and it kind of gets our brains thinking in different ways, but Mm -hmm. just, and then there's just the community that's right there. So very well said. I think that is just the, the perfect way perfect piece of advice for everyone to follow and a great way to end this this episode it's been great amazing i have talked your ear off for an hour is no, there, i think i've done that <laughs> <laughs> is there any last thing you do want to share uh before we do wrap up uh no i just uh kind of what i said just it's we're dealing with something that's really hard and don't underestimate how hard it is and um if I can do it, you all can do it, and uh, we'll we'll figure this out. And I, I feel pretty confident that that we're getting there, and we're pretty close to understanding what's happening with our bodies, and and um, we can do it together. Yes, we definitely can. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. This has been a great time, and I really appreciate you sitting and visiting with me today. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for inviting me. I've dedicated most of my life to fitness and health, but as I've grown older and felt the effects of fatigue as I've battled Crohn's, I no longer want to spend hours in the gym every day, which is how I first stumbled across the Cellar Size Rebounder. It's become the backbone of my fitness routine these days, giving me the ability to tailor my workouts from gentle movement to intense jumping that literally activates every cell in the body. And the best part is, It only takes 10 minutes a day for an incredible workout. Find out for yourself what a difference cellar size can make in your health by visiting Crohn'sFitnessFood.com forward slash cellar size. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.